from the Acts of the Apostles in chapter 8. Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Get up and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a wilderness road. So he got up and went. Now there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home, seated in his chariot. He was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go over to this chariot and join it. So Philip Philip ran up to it and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. <clears throat> he asked, do you understand what you're reading? The eunuch replied, how can I unless someone guides me? He invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb, silently before its shearer, though he does not open his mouth, in his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, about whom, may I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip began to speak, and starting with this scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. As they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? The eunuch commanded the chariot to stop. And both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. Here ends the reading. Before we get too deep into the sermon itself, I want to make one quick comment. You'll hear in the, um, in the sermon that very last, second to last uh, verse, 38, um, it says in this version, and Philip baptized him. In most versions, it just says, and he baptized him. Um, this is a, an amendment actually made um, that is not in the original. So um, that gets brought up, but it doesn't maybe get brought up as clearly as it could. So, in the process of coming up with sermons, um, I have found that it's really, really helpful sometimes to be able to talk things over with my colleagues. And this conversation was of the nature that it was a good enough sermon as it was. Um, so, I thought it would be interesting if we just brought that forth for the sake of interpreting today's text. Um, and. I hope that you will see that there is also a little bit of a method to the madness in this process. So before we get into the interpretation, um, would you two like to introduce yourselves? Sure. I am Reverend Timoth Sylvia. I serve as senior pastor of the community from Newman Congregational Church, United Church of Christ in Rumford, Rhode Island. 
And I'm uh, the Reverend Greg Briggs. I am recently finishing up being the interim minister at First Congregational Church in Charlevoix, Michigan. Uh, this was to be my first Sunday not preaching in a while, but Eliza <laughs> brought me back in. Just kidding. It's my third so sermon. Sunday off, so we're all right. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. And this is why we have a good time together. So the text is a familiar one to us, but it isn't one that comes up in the lectionary all that often. It's the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Um, Acts 8. One of the things that occurred to me in looking at this is that um, the eunuch has just been in Jerusalem, which is where God things happen. Um, but this God thing doesn't happen in Jerusalem. It happens in the desert in this sort of in-between space. No one's in their comfort zone. Um, and it's brought up all of the other liminal spaces that exist in this text. So I thought that might be a good place to start. Um, where do you see the, um, the the discomfort? Where do you see the this isn't where it's supposed to be and we're sort of in the middle of things? So I love the liminal space that I experience in this text and um, see this as an incredible example where we find them, where we find this actual encounter happening is on a wilderness road, uh, which brings with it so many different layers of, of understanding and potential. And um, to have this sort of God experience, this movement of spirit, uh, in a place that is um, wild and uh, perhaps dangerous uh, is uh, is heartening. And uh, as I, I shared in some of our other conversation, this, this example of the Ethiopian eunuch studying scripture along the road, this wilderness road, almost as if it's a, a sense of, of comfort um, for... Um, for that moment is uh, beautiful, you know, and, and not necessarily something that um, we experience in some of the other texts when um, scriptures read in the temple or, or um, this is a very uh, maybe obscure place for scripture to be encountered. And I think that's a beautiful element to the story. And along with the idea of it being liminal space or unexpected space, it's also subverting space. I mean, even the character of the eunuch uh, themselves, um, they are a servant, but they are well off. They are from Ethiopia, yet they are reading scripture. They are a eunuch, so they are separated from standards of uh, gender and sexuality according to the Jewish temple. Um, but uh, I think maybe, Eliza, you said this in our pre-conversation, you know, uh, the fact that Philip went from Philip's place in this went from being a teacher to a journeyer very quickly. Um, it makes me think of the quote um, from a '70s Aboriginal uh, women's uh, conversation. You know, if you come to save me, you're wasting your time. But if you're here because your liberation is tied up with mine, then let us journey together. And this very quickly turns into a mutual journey on many different levels. That Philip is not the Philip starts out as the expert to explain the scripture, um, but then he kind of gets explained to, in some ways too. Yeah. 
I, I think one of the one of the things I struggle with in this text is the um, the way of reading Isaiah because of course they're in the scroll of Isaiah they're actually in Isaiah fifty three um, and the last line that the eunuch reads um, from their text doesn't exist in Isaiah as it is handed to us in our Bible which I find fascinating um, but the eunuch says you know is this Isaiah or is it someone else, which is a good question. And Philip is like, well, clearly it's Jesus. And I feel like in the back of the eunuch's head, the eunuch is going, no, it's, it's me, which means that there's a link between me and Jesus in this. And I feel like not having the full conversation of what happened in that chariot in that moment, I like to think that that got expressed, that there was that level of identification with the person, not only that Isaiah was talking about, but that Philip was talking about, that made the eunuch want to be part of this. Um, and I feel like that's a healthier reading than to say, oh, the entire Hebrew Bible, the entire Jewish canon is only pointing to Jesus, because to say that is to say, if you're still Jewish after this, then you clearly don't know anything. And I really have a problem with that. Um, but, you know, the sense of, I find myself identified with this and with um, the ways that you are interpreting this. Um, that feels like a great uh, opening into the whole, the whole space and the whole understanding of it. Um, the other part of this that I'm feeling in it, um, when they talk about, you know, Philip had to go off to the south, was pointed to the south, the same word can be used to say um, at high noon. And so they're at high noon in the desert, sun blazing overhead. Um, and I feel like even though this is not written by the same author as the Gospel of John, we have the um, Samaritan woman at the well returning in this moment in a very different way. We, again, have that concept of someone who is so far marginalized, so far out of the center, the person who is not allowed to teach, the person who is not even supposed to be talking to Philip or Jesus but that light is shining down, no shadows to hide in, nowhere to be, and suddenly there's water um, in the middle of this blazing hot desert, in the middle of this blazing hot day. Um, the sense of what can come out of the liminal space when those relationships and conversations happen. Well, I think this is a deep expression of, you know, the UCC phrase that God is still speaking. That every time we think we know what's being said, we get an Ethiopian eunuch, we get a Samaritan woman, we get an impoverished person. We, we get the people saying, nope, you, you still have more to figure out. No matter who you are, there is more to God than just what you think you've got contained with what you've brought with you thus far. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, I appreciate, Eliza, the bringing into the conversation sort of the uh, what's coming in my mind is a uh, you know, who is this person not to have a Jesus experience? Who is this person not to have uh, a spirit experience? And thinking so often of uh, encounters that I've had with others on the margins uh, in our culture um, who have such deep faith, you know, and in so many instances are, are considered by some communities to be uh, those that we are to exclude, not to accept as a, a full uh, participant in the life of our faith community, 
and yet their faith at times, in my experience, is so much deeper than some of those that I experience within a faith community. Uh, and it's just a, a remarkable parallel to say that, you know, this person has this hunger within them to know, to, to know the scripture, to know God and this experience with Philip. And I love this imagery of them doing this together, you know, creating this community on this wilderness road and having this, this revelation, not only for the Ethiopian eunuch, for Philip as well. They are both changed in this experience. And I see that so often in our, our neighbors on the margins. And it's just a, a reminder, you know, of to whom we are, are directed um, to share in ministry, to whom we are to, to, uh, to share our, our love and our compassion and our grace and our, our, uh, our whole selves, you know, in modeling the life and teachings of Jesus. Um, and it happens in this very moment. Yeah, I think I think that's one of the things that that really jumps out at me. I mean, this text gets read as Philip saves the eunuch and converts him to Christ, but you got to figure sort of again that sort of back conversation. Maybe it's in the back of the head. I don't know. The eunuch says, "What is to prevent me from being baptized?" And Philip's upbringing and his training and everything about his life to that point would say to him a whole lot of things are to prevent you from being part of the religious community. And so there's a conversion of Philip too, um, as the body of Christ expands to incorporate, literally embody this eunuch, this um, person whose body would have been rejected. Um, Philip also is changed by that. What is to prevent me from being baptized? And Philip goes, nothing. And you, you sort of see his mind getting blown in that process, too. And then he vanishes, and he's not the center of this narrative. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's really telling, that we don't need Philip. The body of Christ is still here at that point. Well, hearing, Eliza, hearing you and Timoth both talk, I mean, the, the two phrases that just popped into my head are, you know, thinking of these characters as, you know, we talk about liminal space, but the, the Ethiopian eunuch lives in liminal space almost constantly. Yeah. You know, they are a liminal dweller, whereas Philip is almost like a little dabbler, like, oh, I'm going outside the normal box. Wow, look at me, you know? And just recognizing, like, hearing you two talk about this, you know, as a cis straight white guy, like, oh, yeah, like the difference between being a, a, a liminal dabbler and a liminal dweller is all the difference. You know, like this isn't just a, a novel experience, Philip. Like this is what, you know, being on the margins, though in many ways in the eyes of the world is, you know, an undesirable place in the eyes of God. It's exactly where we're called to be. Um, exactly. Yeah. And uh, the, this because I'm an overachiever, like I read the previous story in, um, in Acts 8, where it's about this powerful magician named Simon who tries to buy his way into being an apostle. And, like, again, you know, like, he viewed this as, you know, the experience of God as a way to get more power, more authority, more ways to control other people. Because, who knows? Um, but that's not what takes place in this story. And so, like you said, after this experience, like, Philip goes off. Um the, the unit doesn't need to be babysat or, you know, checked up on or anything. It's like, oh, no, you, 
you're a liminal dweller. Like, you've got this. One other thing I would just lift up to based on um, this idea of this being a, a change for both of them, not only for the eunuch. You know, the text tells us that once the water is found and they've, they've had this moment of, you know, what's, what's to prevent this from happening, um, we're told, you know, they both come up out of the water. I mean, that, that beautiful imagery. This is a baptism for both of them. You know, and it's then in that moment, everything changes. It's very vague language. It just says he baptized him. Which he, there's two of them right there. Um, I mean, uh, we don't have the the modern equivalent of sort of they, them pronouns. The eunuch has been referred to as he up until this point. Um, I don't know what he would have preferred. I go with those pronouns. Um, but it becomes ambiguous in the telling of the story. Um, and I, I love that because it really distorts our understanding of who's doing what to whom and who has power and who is in charge and who is not. Um, and that's, it's just so fantastic. Um, and it takes us all the way back to the, their first encounter. You know, Philip jumps up into the chariot, which is weird. I mean, like chariots going down the road and Philip just sort of jumps in the eunuch's like, Oh, Hey, okay. Anyway. Um, and they start reading Isaiah together, and Philip says, do you understand it? And the eunuch says, no, how can I without someone to interpret it to me? But this also calls up the very traditional ways of interpreting scripture, which are communal. Um, and the very idea that you can't fully interpret what God is doing without being in conversation with someone else and having that break open um, in a very profound way. Um, and it, it, it suggests that Philip himself couldn't interpret the scriptures without the presence of the eunuch there as well. I mean, isn't that what we're doing here? Yeah. We interpret scripture in community. You referencing the eunuch's pronouns made me think of this. May be a segue, or this may be you know, completely off. So edit it out if you want. But um, you know, there's a there is a uh, there was a Jewish theologian named Martin Buber who wrote a book called I and Thou, and he talks about relationships between people shifting from I it relationships, where you view the other person as just an object, to an I Thou relationship, where you see the divinity within them as well. And I feel like that that was also a pronoun shift. That could have ha that probably happened in this as well um, is the seeing of the true um, spirit of God in everyone. Yeah, exactly. Um, one of the uh, theologians that I was looking at and looking at this was um, Gloria and Andalusa. I can't pronounce her name right now. I was just a Spanish major. You'd think I'd be able to do that one. Um, and she referred. To to this in terms of the um, U.S.-Mexico border and the places the eunuch as a, a migrant coming across the border into um, a more wealthy um, area as the other and how we sometimes see those migrants as simply other, as it, if you will. Um, the words that have been used in um, 
describing folks who are coming up from Central America um, are not words of relationship in our, in our understanding. And she refers to that borderland as an open wound. Um, and what you, I hear in this story is in many ways the healings of a wound that I don't think Philip even understood existed. I know the eunuch felt that woundingness. I know that the eunuch felt excluded from temple. I mean, he had gone up to worship in the Jerusalem temple, and you know he hadn't been able to. So the healing of these open, uh, open places that are like prone to infection, prone to bleeding, and to create something whole out of that that leaves both bodies changed, that creates community. Um, that was well, really powerful. One of those um, blessings and burdens of the liminal dwellers is that they are able to see and experience the wounds that others miss. Um, and that sometimes is the, the revelation that's needed. Yeah. It's also beautiful. Of how God leads us into places that we would not seek to go mm -hmm. and encourages us to bring our whole selves and uses us to do extraordinary things. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I was going to ask if we had any closing thoughts, but Timothy, I think you preempted me on that one because that was absolutely beautiful. Um, and so I think. Uh, I will just say thank you both very, very much for being the community that helps me interpret scripture and that I hope will model for anyone who listens to this what it can be to take these stories and just break them apart and find healing within them. So thank you for your time today and for being the tremendous pastors that you both are. Thank you. Right back at you.